listen to the Deep Purple Podcast. Enjoyed Nate and John. You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 233, John Lord, Before I Forget. And coming to you from the forgetful suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John Taza Matola. Taza? Like the, like the chocolate? Hell yeah. Is that that stone ground chocolate? Hell yeah. That stuff is awesome. Oh, that is the <clears throat> that is the best chocolate I've ever had. Like, you know, they have they have it, it bars, looks like, but it you looks know like what's the, the trivial pursuit. Those, the trivial pursuit. Yeah, those little discs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you break it off and then you break off the little triangles and you eat them and then you like they're all it's all like sandy in your mouth and then it just dissolves and it's like oh, yeah. it's so it's like the texture good. of it. It sounds maybe it's maybe sound you're saying sandy doesn't sound very appealing, but it's, it's stone gritty. ground. It's just oh it's so good. Yeah, I, um, yeah, maybe Sandy was, it's it's very like gritty. You have like this kind mm-hmm. of gritty texture in your mouth, but it's like, it's good. It's chocolate. They're, they actually had like a Taza, I think they had a Taza, like a hot, like a chocolate bar um, somewhere in Boston. I had, you know, gotten a hot chocolate with it. Oh, like a Taza, like a bar, an actual bar yeah. that you go to. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, not like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had a big chocolate bar. Um, they probably had one of those too. <laughs> those three but no, stories yeah, they tall. had like a they had like a a drink bar, and I, it was like several years ago. But I remember I got it with like Taza chocolate and the hot cocoa, and it was like, mm. but yeah, just like breaking off the little things of the, that disc and eating mm-hmm. it. It's just like, oh, it's the best. I had some earlier. Um, actually, this one was like um, a bar that I got, but it had like coconut in it, which. I'm indifferent, you know, coconut, no coconut, whatever, you know, some people hate it. Some people yeah. love it. I'm just like, if it's there, it's fine. But now I have like little, little finger coconut stuck in my teeth, you know, kind of like popcorn oh, yeah, kernels. Yeah. So I'm kind of going like. One year for Christmas, they made an eggnog flavored one. It was awesome. Oof. Oh, you know what? I had that. Yeah. My favorites. The, yeah. My favorite ones are like the, uh, they have like the, the hot, the hot chili pepper one, yeah, yeah. the vanilla. The vanilla um, one is good. Yeah. It's just plain vanilla, but it's really good. Yeah, I've, I've definitely gotten the eggnog. I remember that one. I think it was like they put it um, like it was on sale um, like uh, somewhere when the uh, what do you call it? When the holiday was over. And I, like, In I January, grabbed, like, trying to get rid of it. I grabbed like a bunch <laughs> of them. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah, we're not going to be carrying these anymore. I'm like, I'll take them. <laughs> I'll eat them in July. I don't give a shit. Yeah, that's really but, good stuff. Taza chocolate. But, the Deep Purple podcast is brought to you by Taza chocolate. Taste the stone ground deliciousness. <laughs> hey, what do you oh, want man, for a free you, ad? You gaffed that up. I did. But yeah, no, yeah. I, I don't eat it nearly enough, but if I... If I remember to all the time, oh, it's, it's expensive. Too. It's funny you mentioned that because I I, ha- I I had like a stockpile of it and I would eat it all the time years oh. ago and I hadn't had any for years. And then a few weeks ago, I had the vanilla one because I was like, I've never actually had the plain vanilla one. It's like, oh, this is really good. Good stuff. Check out Taza chocolate. Where are they? Are, I want to say it's like Mexican t- chocolate, but I don't know where I think it's. So. 
I don't know where it's based out of. Oh, it's based out of Somerville, Massachusetts, your neck of the woods. That's probably why they had the the uh, the the bar. Yeah, the bar in uh in Boston. There you go. Um, definitely next time I'm in Boston, we're gonna have to go to the Taza Bar. Deep Purple Podcast yep. coming to you live from the Taza Chocolate Bar. So anyway, <laughs> as we're sipping our cuckoo. Well, if you want to sip cocoa with us, you can actually, you could buy us some cocoa or some Kofi. You could support us on Kofi if you want to buy us a coffee or a cocoa. Um, but other ways to support our show, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can buy some merch at our Etsy store. You can become a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as $1 a month. All the proceeds go back into the show into supporting us and uh, helping us uh, grow our new computer fund and all that happy horse crap. And then you can also donate on Cash App at dollar sign D-P-P-O-D. Um, so speaking of patrons, um, at our executive level, at the in memoriam tier, we have the wonderful Gerald Jerry Kelly and his family. Uh, big uh, thank you to the support that he gave us um, during his life. And uh, we remember and honor him always. At the $25 Uncommon Man tier, we have Ovis Nakvi and Purple Maniac. At the... 15 squid tier, we have Alan. At the 10 pound good doctor tier, we have Dr. Mike Catan. The heck is it? <laughs> if anyone has any any ideas on how to how to better organize these other than a big list. Let me know. I need some sort of uh, something to help me trigger these. At the turn it up to $11 tier, we have Clay Wambacher, Frank Tealgard Mortensen, Mickelstein, Will Porter, uh, PhDPP. Then at the $10 Someone Came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, and Better Call Saul Evans. Then, of course, at the Cusoween by 2033 tier, we have Fielding Fowler. Just, just, just a, just way too late. <laughs> but, yeah. I love it because you, you do the, you do the Dracula voice and then there's a werewolf and then just like another vampire comes in at the end, like Bleh. another Dracula appears, <laughs> another Dracula appears a pair of and is like, by the way, just <laughs> in, in case you didn't get it the first time. Exactly. It's perfect. <laughs> Um, <laughs> speaking of um, Apple podcast reviews, oh Hello. my goodness, we have another five star review. This one's coming from Extra Awesome from the UK. Five stars. The title Great Fun DP Pod. Uh, and the body of the email is, or email, the body of the review, been a DP fan since 88. My first album being Nobody's Perfect. Probably not many who started there. Seen them countless times over the years, but still have vivid memories of my first, uh, my first at Brixton in 93. Oh, wow. He's there. Anyway, a great pod with Nathan and John sharing their love for the band and its offshoots, often finding the absurdity and some of the goings on over the years. Highly recommended. Phil in Ross on Y. UK. 
So thank you, Phil. Really appreciate that. And um, yeah, yeah, I'd say we're kind of in the same boat. That I don't know if Nobody's Perfect was my first album or introduction to them, but it was damn close. If if, if not the first thing, it's one of the first things I ever heard by Deep Purple. So, mm. and we still haven't covered it yet on the show. Um, so there we go. But the real question I know that you're all clamoring for is, was that five-star review the 100th review? Let's see. Uh, judges? Uh, Close. We keep getting closer, guys. Jeez. I know. Man, just, what the hell? Just... <laughs> John's really disappointed. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I I, I want to know what the victory song is going to be. I'm still trying to get in touch with Rod Roddy so he can tell you what you won. <laughs> All right. You get a copy of the home version of the Deep Purple podcast. You can play at home. Um is that right. two, two dummies sitting around every Monday at seven o'clock in their pajamas talking about deep purple? <laughs> Preferably pantsless. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you're looking for like-minded podcasts, single band podcasts, deep dives into bands, check out deepdivepodcastnetwork.com where we got all great bands. You're looking for a podcast on Queen? We got two of them. You're looking for a podcast on Van Halen? We've only got one. Most of them, we only have one. Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, uh, they're doing Genesis now, although it's not a um, Genesis podcast, but a, they're reviewing like uh, the Genesis albums, and then they're moving on to do other things. We've got Ozzy, Black Sabbath, Leonard Skinner, you know, Skinner reconsidered his back after a long hiatus. They've had a few episodes out. They, it's, it's, it's one guy. <laughs> it's our good friend, The Simple Man. He's had a couple episodes out, and he recently did a bonus episode with Rye where they were talking about one particular song uh, that they, they both really love by, by Leonard Skinner. So check it out. Um, okay. So before I forget, John, we should talk about before I forget. Um, what do you what what if anything memories you have about this album? Any history with it at all? I I don't I don't um, honestly with a lot of uh, um, John Lord solo stuff. Um, I really don't uh, I don't know it that well. This so is, this one I don't even think I I don't know if I've heard of it. Believe it or not. I've heard it, but I didn't get it until later because it was one of those ones that was always floating around. I just remember, I remember seeing the elephant with the trunk tied up and seeing that in record stores along with Sarah Band. And I remember you always just going, shh, doing the shh in, the, in Tower Records or wherever we would see it. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't get it. What a goof. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get it when we were kind of in the thick of it. Back in the day, um, and it's not one that I've heard a million times, but I do overall have pretty uh, fond memories of it. So it's going to be fun to revisit it here uh, tonight with you all. Well, I'll um, visit it or visit it. Yeah, revisit or visit. Um, so th there was like a special release in 94 and I think another one in 99 that's got some pretty good interviews and stuff with John Lord. So I pulled a lot of stuff from that for the episode and I think we'll kind of get into a lot of the, the specifics, uh, much like I'm trying to think of recent episodes like the, our Glenn, like our L.A. Blues Authority episode and even like our uh, New York tribute episode. Every track is like a, a, a different selection of John Lord's friends and players and everything. So you'll you'll see a, a cast of some probably for most of you listening, some very familiar 
characters and some people that maybe you're not as familiar with um, that you'd expect to see on a John Lord album. So it should be really a lot of fun listening to what all of them bring to each track. Um, but he called the album before I forget because he had had these songs all kind of rattling around in his head for four or five years. And he kind of said he just made this kind of jokey title, like, I better record these songs before I forget them and actually kind of uh-huh. flush them out. Um he says um, in the interviews that the songs were four of the songs on the album were autobiographical about specific instances. And the other four were just kind of feelings that he had been wanting to put on tape. Um, the vocals, uh, uh, there's a lot of backing vocals by um, uh, Sam and Vicky Brown, which we'll get into later. Um, vocals and back, backing vocals. Um uh, they asked. It's it's basically a bunch of John Lord's friends. So he was asked by an interviewer, "Was there a you know a downside to doing album with just your friends?" And Lord said, "There's a danger. Uh, you're in there that it could become a party rather than serious business of getting down to something that you believe in onto tape." But they all know me well enough and respect me enough, I think, to do a lot of what I tell them to do, and be known that it should degenerate into a party. Although there's a lovely little story about the track I did with Bad Company on here on this album. I did two with them one night, and the first night we got Down Perfect, which was the one on the album, and the second one was supposed to be this kind of really heavy chugging song I'd written called Going Home about something that happened to me when I was down out broke in London, and mom kept ringing me up and saying, come home to Leicester. Um, so he said, I wrote, he wrote the song. It was supposed to be really heavy. And by the time we got to that one, which was the second one, Bad Company had consumed a fair amount of various liquids. And instead of being junk, 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 it ended up being ding, ding, ding. And rather than a jolly little ditty, which didn't fit the words at all. So it ended up being a kind of a happy go lucky song when he's trying to be all down and out. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of the little background of, of, what he did here um, in production, we've got Mike Johnson uh, as an engineer. He worked uh, at Britannia Row Studios. So this was recorded at Britannia Row Studios, which was Pink Floyd studio, which I think they built right before they did Wish You Were Here. And then mm-hmm. later on, Nick <clears throat> Mason took over full ownership. So I think they recorded Wish You Were Here and Animals and part of the wall here. So uh, Animals, my favorite Pink Floyd album. So this album has some got some really great history. Um, Mike Johnson worked with Joy Division, Bernie Marsden Solo, and Soft Cell. And then the producer, along with John Lord, is a guy named Guy Bidmead, a guy named Guy. He worked with Yes, Noel Redding, Automatic Man, which is Pat Thrall's band, uh, Trapeze in the after the post uh, Glenn Hughes era, and Elvis Costello. And that brings us to. I can pull it up here. The album art, which I know you have seen a million times. John, what do you think of the cover of Before I Forget? I think I have seen this album cover. You had to have. It was always it was always in those bins with like import. And it was you're probably one of the things that kind of forced yeah. it towards the back burner for me was it would have been one of those rather expensive imports for us. What year was it? 82. Did it come out? Oh, okay. All right. So, oh, so he was in Whitesnake. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I definitely seen this. I I think it's a, a cool album cover. Um, I mean, it's, um, it's, <laughs> I like, it's kind of on the nose because you like <laughs> yes. forget elephant, you know. Yeah. And um, 
Yeah, I like the fact that you know the ele- you know the the elephant, which for whatever reason has the reputation of being having a great memory, and then having its trunk tied in in a knot, like to, <laughs> as an extra to help, it re- to help it remember to help it remember. So this is like something that's never going to be forgotten. This uh, this elephant, he's like looking at you, like I got it, man. Never forget. I think it. it's like elephants are like uh, have very good memories. I think maybe that's why they 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 remember a lot of stuff. Yeah, but like, why do we know that? I. I mean, it I must know, be like because... some science behind it, but like, yeah, it's like, oh yeah, elephants, they're, they're super good at like, you just ask any schlub on the street and they're like, oh yeah, elephants, they're really good at remembering, like, but like, what do you, and they're scared <laughs> of mice, those are like, and they love peanuts, that's like, the only things you really know about elephants, but like, where do we name get Name me another this three facts about elephants. <laughs> yeah, can you name three other facts? I don't know if you can. No. Big um, ears, big ears. All right. Yeah, true. Obvious. They can um, shoot water out their trunk. We've seen that in cartoons enough times. Mm-hmm. And um, and if they see a mouse scurry by, they'll jump onto a stool like a little housewife. <laughs> uh, but uh, this this elephant is uh, very cool. I, I think the illustration is uh, really um, really detailed. Like you get that really that the the crackled mm-hmm. dry mm-hmm. skin. You can really tell he looks he looks kind of mad you know he's got the big tusks his eyes are red to match the background which mm-hmm. the the background is like this nice kind of uh kind of like red orange mm-hmm. like an orangish kind of red not like a fire engine red but kind of like a uh like a a deep red with a little orange tone in it and uh yeah i think it's a really uh and then the john lord logo mirrors the kind of elephant mm-hmm. the look of the elephant um so yeah it's pretty pretty simple but i think um very unforgetful. Aha. You know what I'm saying? Very memorable. But yeah, it's a very, very, um, very good, very good cover, I think. Yeah, I agree. Awesome covers. Only what four colors, white, gray, red, and black. Very simple. Uh, but like you said, yet yeah, the detail on the elephant is really uh really great. But it's 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 overall just a super super simple album cover. I think it's really memorable. I think that's one of the reasons I always it always stuck out in my mind um, was seeing this in the in the stores and always just wondering like kind of what is this album about? And I'm not sure why I never really made that purchase like in the '90s when we were starting to see these imports around town in Boston and stuff. But I never really dove into it until uh, much later. But it's a uh, it's a, it's a great a bit one. money. Uh, it you was, know, you said it was probably one of the more expensive. Yeah, it imports, was one of those ones so. that at the time when CDs would have been like ten, eleven dollars. This one was probably eighteen, nineteen. So you're like, ah, mm. I'll get you know, I'll get something else at the, at, you know, for that amount of money, I'll get two albums. But well, I mean, especially if you're a kid that's broke. Yes. What are you What are you buying it with? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, where the hell were we getting our money? I don't right. know. Um, the uh, the the illustration was done by a guy named Brett Irwins. He only did a few album covers, but he was best known for his work on the comic book Judge Dredd. So mm. he was a comic book artist, and uh, you know, some it's fu- funny he didn't do any of the album art for like Anthrax. They're always you know talking yeah, right? about Judge Dredd. Well, at least in that one song. Yeah. <laughs> always, <know>. always. <laughs> It's all they talk about, Anthrax. We're gonna have to get you yeah, some. If you eye listen drops, to that John. one song over and over, then yeah. <laughs> um. 
So yeah, he he uh, passed away in 2015, unfortunately. Um, photography for this album by Martin Goddard, who worked with Blondie Wham, Genesis, UB40, and Elton John. Also art direction by David Larkham, or is Larkamy? I think Larkamy. He worked with Elton John, Dominic Troiano, who is uh, Tommy Bolin's predecessor in James Gang, and then also Joe Murawski, who worked with Pete Townsend, Pat Travers, Slade, and the Roback's favorite, Rory Gallagher. So that's kind of a, a breakdown of the album cover. The labels themselves are pretty straightforward. Harvest, back to the Harvest uh, uh, record label, front uh, side one and side two. And then the back of the album cover is like cool. It's like a, like a dinner napkin that's... Uh, tied at one end so it's again they're bringing back that knot motif and then it's got just the track listing who's on each track the little acknowledgements and stuff and then there's just an awesome black and white picture of full walrus stash john lord with the sunglasses full like jesse ventura esque <laughs> john lord <laughs> come on those guys were like hey, you ever see those two guys in the same place at the same time i don't know yeah all right I'm Jesse Ventura. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> There's this guy, James Adomian, I think is his name. He does an amazing Jesse Ventura yeah, impression. I was just thinking of him where he's just like, look at how wild up he is, McMahon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, he, he was like, sounds kind of homoerotic, doesn't it? He's just like, look at how, how wild his body is. And he's just like. <laughs> he's incredible. Yeah, he's, he's, he, you remember the one he did on, um. The, the whole thing he did on the, the 80s supervillains. I don't know if I saw that. No? No. I think he, he did one where he was like talking about like the Transformers and like uh, like uh, Cobra Commander and everything. He's like, he goes, uh, the, the Decepticons were just like, uh, he goes just like a bunch of like drag queens. It's just like, <laughs> Starscream, get over here, you bitch. <laughs> it was just like stuff like that. It's like, seize them. It's just like very, very dramatic. You know, it was like, uh, it, it's really, it's a, it's a funny bit. I'm going to look that up. I haven't, the only, I, I heard him on a podcast, like a comedy podcast I listened to where he was doing Jesse Ventura and he was clearly like somebody doing an impression, but it was at a certain point I was like, I don't know. I think this might actually be, cause his impression is so good. <laughs> I was like, this might actually be him. Is he just like joining on and being funny about it and then i you know i just kind of looked whenever i pulled over or whatever i looked at the uh, show notes i was like oh, okay it's gonna be doing an impression but it's just such a good impression he's got it down a hundred percent oh yeah Jesse, no, the body. Um, <clears throat> yeah that's um that's one of those um i mean he's I, he's one of those guys that i think is on the fringe he's not you know pop as popular as somebody's like um like these days, like say like uh, like Louis C.K. or or Jim yeah. Gaffigan, you, you say that most people know who they are, but he's you know I I have a comedy playlist on um, on uh, Pandora, and he popped up on one of them, and I was just like I was dying when he did the whole '80s supervillains like Skeletor and all those, and I was like, oh man, this is like hilarious, and yeah. but his album you know, at least at the time, like the full album isn't really available anywhere, so oh really trying to. Trying to, well, I mean, streaming, I mean, I'm sure that, yeah. you know, you could find it someplace, but I'm trying to find it because it's like, um, I've heard a few different, you know, tracks from that. And it's like, it's always like really funny. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. That'll be our uh, bonus episode. We'll, we'll review yeah. that, that album, but, <laughs> um, 
All right. So that's kind of the that's that's the kind of rundown to this album. Um, if we're ready to kind of start talking about it and getting into tracks, I can, of course, thank our next level of patrons, which would be our core level patrons. Coming in at the $7.77 Keep It Warm Rat tier, we have Michael Vader. At the $6.99 New Nice Price tier, we have Spike the Rock Cat and Sugar Tea. At the $6.66 tier, we have Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith. Getting support from the patron, Arthur Smith. We have... Anton Glaving, Charles Meadows. At the $6.65 almost evil tier, we have, of course, Kenny Wymore, Michael Bagford, and Richie Sucksmith. At the $5.99 nice price tier, we have Robert Smith, Peter from Illinois, and Carl Helberg. And at the 60 kroner tier, we have Newt Martin Johansson. At the $5.55 What's Going On Here tier, we have Richard Fusey. And at the $5 Money Lender tier, we have John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Alman, Alexi the Perfect Stranger Slepikoff, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zerns, Cynthia Doobie, Raf Kaff, and... Blackmore Tights. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and... <laughs> Coyote Bongwater. <laughs> <laughs> you got a little was, bonus there, Blackmore. So unexpected bonus pops, bonus uh, Blackmore tights. Uh, nah, <laughs> that was the non that was the non cough version. This is why I don't pre record this. So you wouldn't have that that spontaneity of me screwing up something somewhere every week. <sighs> okay, so this album was recorded September 1981. Um, and February 17th through March 4th, 1982 at Britannia Row, as we talked about. Put some links in the show notes to that uh, that uh, uh, studio. If you want to look, look at more about it, I'm sure the, some of your favorite albums are probably recorded there as a big studio. Um, and then uh, that's it. We're here. We're ready to get into the tracks. This is an eight-track album, four tracks on one side, four on the other. And it opens up with this one, which is called Chance on a feeling. Oops. So we got some familiar people here. Almost sounds like a white snake track. Well, from around this time. Ian Pace on drums, Neil Murray on bass, Bernie Marsden that's on why. guitar. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> so Bernie on vocals? Yep. Wow, I got a good ear, huh? You sure do. But yeah, it's unmistakable. Oh yeah, that's that's some Neil Murray right there. I love that. That like it almost sounds like a sequencer he's using. A lot of Moog synthesizer on this uh, album. It's got a really, really upbeat type of feel to it. Great opener. Yeah, 
That's Vicky and Sam Brown on backing vocals, a mother-daughter team. Was this maybe where Kirk Van Houten got his idea for his single, Could I Borrow a Feeling? Oh, I don't know that one. Nice Hammond solo right off the bat. Definitely bring, sparks questions about what, what it would have been like with Bernie Marsden and Deep Purple. All right. I mean, really, uh, showcase and Bernie throughout the song, too. I mean, you got him on guitar and vocals. Some unmistakable pacey groove there. So John Lord in an interview said that for these solo parts for the guitar, they pointed the guitar at a wall and then leaned it back on some bricks to accomplish the sound. So it kind of oh. has like a, so it's a little more indirect sounding. Great rocket stuff. Chance on a feeling. I feel like we're yeah we're reviewing a a a, a missing White Snake album all of a sudden. I know it's so funny that I said that because as soon as it kicked in, I'm like, all right, it sounds like White Snake in '82, and you're like, well, it <laughs> pretty much is. it is minus Coverdale exactly. So good stuff. All right. So what do you think of Chance on a Feeling? I'll give that one a solid four. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's um I, what else can you say about it? I think it's great. It you you get what you expect from those musicians. And it's uh it's a great song too. And it's like um yeah, it was really nice to hear uh you know some uh some Bernie uh, you know outside of um you know a little after our episode and everything. It was kind of cool to hear him uh featured here. It was a nice unexpected surprise. Yep, but always great to you know hear his uh, his playing his vocals. I mean, this is a little more um, restrained. I mean, in in our Bernie episode, we heard him really let loose and rip in a lot of songs. And this one, he was just um, you know he didn't go nuts. But I mean, I like how he kind of dueled back and forth a little bit with John Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me, like uh, you know early uh, early Deep Purple style a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, great performances all the way around. Nice mid tempo rocker, you know. Absolutely. I enjoyed. 
Um, I will also give this one a four. Super solid opener. Love it. Love the feeling of it. Really brings me to that, you know, this this whole era that I really, really loved, um, where all of these guys, in my opinion, were just doing great things, whether in in and out of Deep Purple. It's just yet another great example of it. Um, as far as this song, this is one of the autobiographical songs. And uh, when asked about this in an interview, I'll have to do my John Lord impression, but his answer set was, um, towards the end of Purple, the deep variety, the bass player was a gentleman called Glenn Hughes, and he had a smashing girlfriend who I fancied something rotten, mate. You know, and being a gentleman, I nicked her, didn't I? Right from under his nose. And this is a kind of very simple song about that rather complicated situation. So... So it's a so it's a song uh, about stealing Glenn Hughes' girlfriend, who he later <laughs> married and stayed married to until he passed away. So Jeez. clearly it worked out. Um, and yeah, that's that's all I got. There's actually the I, I think it's the '94 release has an in, like uh, it has a few bonus tracks and then there's an interview at the end with John Lord. So some of uh, the, the stuff I have is taken from interviews with him, from that interview. And then there's also a good interview in one of the liner notes that I'll throw some stuff in for. Um, but yeah, so he was doing, he was using a mini Moog on this and um, keyboards, organ, piano, and the synthesizer being the mini Moog. And then there was a lot of talk on the, on a 70s weekly podcast recently about, do you pronounce it Moog or Moog? And I remember me and Paul always used to call it Moog when we first learned about it because of Andy Moog, who was, Spelled the same way the guitar player for mm. I'm not the guitar player. He was the goalie for the Boston Bruins. The guitar he, player for the Boston Bruins. He, he may have been a guitar player, but I, that, that I'm not sure of. And like I, he was like I just love. I thought he was like the greatest. Like he was one of my favorite players. And um, then like other people would call this Moog. And I guess they. The, uh, I found an interview with Bob Moog, who founded the Moog synthesizer company and everything and he said uh he's like basically like well in dutch it's pronounced mach he's like and that's just too crazy and but the germans pronounce it moog and then english people pronounce it moog and his family is like split 50 50 some call him moog some call him moog but he says he kind of him and his wife decided they wanted to pronounce it moog so i'm like i guess that's how it should be pronounced but i remember having to train myself to call it pronounce it moog but now i'm training myself to pronounce it moog again so that's the kind of the exciting things that happen in my life. Um, all right. The next track up has some uh, familiar faces as well. And uh, this one is a track called, this sounds like it could be a White Snake song as well. Uh, the track is called Tender Babes. The title sounds White Snake. The song itself, not as much. What do we have on it? Neil Murray on bass, Cozy Powell on drums, and that's mm. it. Oh. And one of the things John Lord talks about is they didn't use anything other than rock instruments for this album. Even sections where it sounds like it might be orchestral, he's doing that with synthesizers. Listen to Murray yeah, see, just ripping on that bass. That's one thing that I really, you know, I never, admittedly never dove too much into John Lord's solo work because I thought that like a majority of it was orchestral. It is, yeah. But I mean, I never knew that he like on his own would, you know, did a rock album, even though, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's in a rock band. 
Although this sounds very orchestral <laughs> in a rock, uh, you know, uh, setting. It sounds like something that Rainbow might have done with Richie, you know? He would have had a similar idea. Mm -hmm. I love what he's doing with the synths in this. He said he based it on a song from the 16th century by someone called Thomas Tallis. Oh, isn't that bass? he heard this kind of thundering drums coming in in the beginning and he said who's the best thunderer in the business cozy powell so that's why he brought him in for this one yeah to the kind of almost has like a Blackmore's night feel to it, huh? Yeah, for sure. Which I mean makes sense if he took the inspiration from a song from the 16th century. Something that's a that's a good old Richie trick. No, I mean it has a kind of renaissance fair type feel to it, so. But with like a absolutely rocking middle section with the best bass fills yeah. I've heard. I think pound for pound, Neil Murray might be the best bass fill guy ever. His fills yeah, are just to say, yeah, unbelievable. Anything that, he's, anything that he's been on that we listen to, I'm, I'm, I'm always impressed. I'm, I'm, I'm never like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, Neil Murray, yawn, awesome. yawn. Is, yeah. He's always just like throwing in these things that just like, and it's like, even though you could, you could listen to it and say, oh, it's like too busy. It never is. It's always like appropriate. It always just sounds great. Yeah, I think so. All right. What do you think of Tender Babes? The song. <laughs> not the um, creatures. <laughs> not the, not the actual Tender Babes. How do you um, feel about tender babes in general? Um, I'll give uh, I'll give them the three. Um, I th I mean I thought it was good. I mean um, it was um, points for an interesting concept. Like I think it's cool. First of all, I mean you got 
those three musicians together. I mean, that's, you know, no slouches there. Quite a trio. But just, you know, having bass, drums, and keyboard, and that's it. No, just an instrumental, no vocals, no guitar, no anything else. Um, pretty cool, pretty bare bones um, uh, type of arrangement, which is good. Um, it just, um, I think it lacked a little something for me to push it over the top to a four. But I mean, I did like the concept. I like the bass fills. I like, you know, John Lord doing his thing. Um, cozy in there, obviously, sounding huge. Um, but, you know, it's, um, I think it's um, one of those, like when I get an instrumental, uh, typically, you know, I like a rock instrumental guitar based. So uh, with um, something like this, it's a little harder for me to kind of follow. So um, I grooved along with it, but, you know, maybe, maybe not something that I would put on separately, but would, you know, if we're listening to the whole album, I would leave it on. Gotcha. All right. I'm going to give it a 3.5. I really like it. I like it's, you know, it's definitely, um, you know, I like that it's got that little intro outro thing that is very, very understated and then comes out and just kind of kicks your ass for a while and goes back into it. It's a really, really solid tune with some great playing all around. Um, the next track up is a track called Hollywood Rock and Roll. Get that like clavinet sound there. Yeah. Now this song is basically bad company with John Lord. You've got Boz Burl on bass, Simon Kirk on drums, Mick Ralphs on guitar. And vocals. And vocals by... You know the name. None other than Tony Ashton. I was going to say, doesn't sound like Paul Rogers to no. me. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like Tony Ashton. Yeah, this song would have been right at home on Case Ashton Lord. really a butterfly ball background vocals feel yeah just those kick-ass british background singers mm.
actually said this is uh, Hollywood rock and roll is my reasonably friendly comment on the first time I ever came up against American A&R men. Said you bring them an album on which you've slaved over and loved for months and honed to perfection, and the first thing they ask is there a single on it. He said to get that effect, I wanted to go to get um, Tony Ashton to sing. He's not a technically qualified singer, but he's good in his old style, a sort of throwaway humor. So I, I see purposely didn't fade the song at the end. So on this one, actually, does it say what John Lord's using on this one? I don't, but I assume he's using a clavinet or a clavinet's patch or something. Tony Ash and cracking everybody up. As per usual. As per, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you could be hanging around Tony Ash and having a bad time. I mean, guys, just <laughs> a laugh a minute. All right. What do you think of Hollywood rock and roll? I'll say that's a, uh, that's a, uh, a three, I would say. Um, it's, uh oh, what have you done? <laughs> John is fumbling with the spreadsheets big time today, folks. I, I fucked up the spreadsheet. He added in a, a third column. That's oh. a heck of a way to tell, tell me we've got a, a new host coming in. There we go. There you go. Um, how, the, how the hell did I do this? I don't know. Are you doing this on your phone? Yeah. Oh, okay. Where do I can't get my numbers back? <laughs> it's got to be hard to kind of do a spreadsheet on your phone. Well, I guess you've been doing it for this many episodes. Yeah, well, I mean, it's. How the f you know what? God damn it. Well, well, you figure that out. I'll tell everybody I'm oh, giving yeah. it a 3.5. <laughs> OK, all right. There we go. Well, I mean, I could have just said, hey, Nate, put in the three. Uh, <laughs> there we go. All right. So, yes, a three, a three for Hollywood rock and roll. Um, I think it's um, just. Not only the, I think the addition of Tony Ashen, he's grown on me mm -hmm. in the, in the past few years. Um, I know that early on I was like, yeah, you know, but <laughs> it's, it's like the, the songs that he's a part of, like songs like this, very whimsical sounding, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's, um, you know, the, the, the vocals, uh, the background vocals kind of, you know, a little bit of a callback to, uh, you know, something you might hear on the butterfly ball. Um, and just the, the arrangement of the song, uh, just sounds very, uh, very snappy, very whimsical. So of course, Tony Ashen vocals are a, uh, you know, kind of a no brainer. 
Um, and he was, it sounded like he was kind of a little bit down on the mix. Like he wasn't yeah, like was right up front quiet. being like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> doing that kind of thing that he usually does. But um, yeah, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was pretty good. I think it was another one that, um, um, yeah, I don't know if I would, um, if I would seek this one out either, um, you know, maybe listen to it as again, part of the whole album, but, um, you know, not, uh, not, not rock and roll enough for me, kind of almost like a, like a novelty type of song. Mm-hmm. I, I love know, it. Which I, I think I, most I, Tony Ashton songs are, I, I think, you know, I love it. I think it fits in with the pace ashton lord stuff and then uh john lord says uh uh the track is really bad company minus the singer mick ralph simon kirk boz burl with tony ashton singing the polyphonic brass sound comes from the o- the opus meaning the moog opus i like the synthesizer to suggest traditional instruments tony ashton does the vocals with a sort of spoken singing style then he says the germans call this sprichtazan Say Sprechtazan. Can you hear that? Yeah, I think you said Sprechtazan. Sprechtazan. Let's see here. Let's try that again. Sprechtazan. Oh, that was really loud. So it's like a a sort of spoken singing style. Um, I don't like fade outs and I managed to find a good stopping place in this one. And that's where they just kind of have everyone just start laughing and call it a day. Um, But I like this one. I, I dig this one a lot. I like this album in general. I think it's a fun, lighthearted album that just has that. Um, it might be one of the later albums to really capture for me that Martin Birch, Roger Glover production style of the of of maybe four or five years earlier, where you're just mm-hmm. like it's just got that. I don't even know what to how to describe it. It's got a certain feeling to it, and mm-hmm. this one just kind of continues that right along, even though. I mean, a lot of the musicians are the same, but none of the the, the production folks are, are really the same at all. So, um, all right. That brings us to the conclusion of side one, which is the uh, cleverly titled Bach onto this. You know, you're going to be getting some Bach, obviously. Ah, Bach. Now, this is Neil Murray, Bernie Marsden, John Lord, and Simon Phillips on drums. So all oh. familiar names in the and all monster players. I feel like we've covered other versions of this song on John Lord episodes sometime in the past. I just can't remember when. Yeah. Is this an instrumental or? Yep. So far, really great. 
This got released released as a single. It must have been an edited version because this is eight minutes long. Yeah. See, this is like a see this instrumental. I can I can follow along with because you have this kind of main like a hook this main part here. Yeah, yeah, hook exactly. It's not just a bunch of. reminds me I got a um, email oh no I'm sorry it was a comment on YouTube about our Glenn Hughes episode that we just did oh it was (laughs) Phil S writes in saying that he wants to reimagine John Lord like Glenn Hughes calling John Lord Ron Lord (laughs) So much going on here. I don't even know what to, what to listen to. I know, like this would be a great one to have all the isolated tracks. I could just listen to Neil Murray's bass track all day. Oh yeah. Organ piano, and for synthesizers, the Poly Moog, the Mini Moog, the Moog Source, the Moog Opus, and the Micro Moog or Moog. first Simon Phillips I think the first Simon Phillips thing we ever covered was on uh, David Coverdale's White Snake album he was a drummer on that and then he also was a drummer on Elements oh so really this is another version of White Snake Mm -hmm. yeah so to speak I'm sure you've seen like the um, ads for this one. It was something they kind of repurposed a lot, but it was a picture of Bach wearing sunglasses. 
I'd have to see it, but yeah. possibly, yeah. Sounds very, um, very rainbow-like. Yeah. I mean, obviously, due to the inspiration, you know. eclectic album so far. It is, but cohesive at the same time. And I think in one of the interviews they asked him, like, oh, are you going to tour for this album or anything? He's like, no, I'm basically just going right back on the road with Whitesnake. (laughs) I mean... Given the musicians on this, it's cohesive. Yeah. Nice. Nice end. Nice ending. Hear that symbol ringing out? At least I think it's a symbol ringing out. But Okay. John, Bach on to this. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll um yeah, I'll give it a three. You're um, Mr. Three today. Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought it was good. Um, but I would say it kind of lost me halfway through um, with the, I mean, I, I mean, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, but the, I think it, w- it was maybe a little too long, you know, like I can appreciate the dynamics and uh, you know, and, and the soloing that we're the, you know, we're doing in the middle, but then it kind of got lost on me a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's, Pretty much it. But I mean, I did like the dynamics. I did like the, you know, the kind of how it, it um, you know, Lord is really, um, I think what really ties it together is Lord and like his musical influences because they're not really all over the place. And I feel like because it's a Deep Purple family album, the the fact that this is kind of a, you know, not a for lack of a better word, like a traditional album, you listen to like all the tracks and you're like, Oh, this is one type of music. You can, you can be like, yeah, if I'm a purple fan then I'm, I could be into this. Yeah, for sure. So, and yeah, that's not to say that it's not good. I mean, I would definitely, like if you were, if, you know, if you put this on, I would definitely rock out to it. Um, 
But yeah, I would say like probably my biggest criticism is a little, a little bit long. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not, you know, tightened up enough, but I mean, I know they weren't going for, well, I mean, you did say this was a single, right? Yeah, but I mean, I don't, I don't know how they determined how they release a single in this situation, and I'm sure, yeah, like I, I said, I, say, it had like, to have been edited down. They're not going to release a 45 with this with an eight minute song on one side. Yeah, I was going to say like, um, yeah, if you're going for a single or for like airplay or to get you know some kind of attention with it, you know, maybe cut it down to four minutes. But. Yeah, and yeah, I think there was definitely a part that halfway point where you're like, yeah, this could there could be a, a hard break here, and it would have worked. But I'll give this one a four. I really like it. I think it's a solid close to the side. I like the uh, energy of it. Like the playing is obviously. I mean, you're not gonna because we might as well just state right now. You're not gonna hear any bad playing on. I mean, anything related to Deep Purple, but particularly no, nothing. Nothing on here is bad. Particularly with the cast of characters we've assembled so far, you know what you're getting. So right. Which uh, leads us to side two of this album and the titular Before I Forget. Now, this one is Sam Brown and Vicky Brown on backing vocals, Neil Murray, Ian Pace, and John Lord, of course. So Lord said he used the poly the polymog cello with the strings filter and the French horn sound from the mini moog. And he used the flute with digital echo panning to achieve what we're hearing. And I should mention also all the songs at this point have been solo Lord compositions. Lord said this song is about memory and he tried to say it. There's no lyrics, so he tried to say it in music. He said originally he was hoping to get David Coverdale to sing it, but he couldn't get the words right, so. Uh, that would have been great. Yeah, I mean, I imagine him singing this like a kind of like a time and again or a blind man sort of thing. I don't know, by by 82, I think he was too horny. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't have been able to do it. He'd be all heavy breathing in the mic. (sighs) Before I forget, let me get in your pants. (laughs) (laughs) 
As we record, just announced Glenn Hughes coming back in February, baby. In California. Oh, shh. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) It was supposed to be a secret. It's official now. I hope nobody at the show told anyone. (laughs) Well, since our show came out um, today, that episode, so we we should be in the clear. Neil Murray is just too much for this song. <laughs> oh, I disagree. Wow, that was really Pink Floyd. Like how it built up to that. Not to sound like the the youth, but this song is a mood. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. It's like somebody's trying to riz me up. My kids hate it because I intentionally misuse all of their dumb expressions. Of course you do. I'm like, no cap on God on God. They're like, you're saying it wrong, Dad. (laughs) <laughs> Why, what's the right way? I don't even know. I don't understand all this new... Ter- we need a new... Uh, we need to call up What's-Her-Name from the Providence Journal and see if she can <laughs> write an updated version of... Yeah. Because it's like we need a glossary. Yeah, we do. We need a new glossary. So my son's always trying to riz me up by <laughs> by calling me baby girl. <laughs> Does it riz you up? It does not riz me up. Oh. Gets my dander up. Um, before I forget, before I forget, we should rank this song. What do you think about this one? I'd give it a uh, 3.5. All right. I thought it was very good. I really um, I, I really enjoyed uh, the, the slow buildup. Mm-hmm. I was waiting for vocals because you were talking about like, oh, I wanted David Coverdale to sing it. So I'm like waiting oh, yeah, yeah. for some vocalist. And then I'm like, but I mean, you know what? I, I think it works great as an instrumental and it's really, um, it's a vibe. Yeah. I I don't know how you would fit vocals into that. I mean, it's such a, it's a simple song, beautiful song, but it, yeah. it, it, it does, it sound, it doesn't sound incomplete. It sounds like, oh yeah, this no. is how it should be. You've no, just got, you've got the, this is this, you know, there's backing vocals listed on several songs in this album where there's no actual fronting vocals. Um, and this is another one of them. I give this one a four. I really love, I love the mood it creates. It's very like moody sort of um, atmospheric mm. sounding song. Had that like that yeah. little, which really sounded like, like a Pink Floyd fade in, but then it completely went in yeah. a different direction um than floyd would have done but really really like the the sound all the production on it the playing obviously like we said not gonna find any bad playing on this album no nope. Re- really great track which leads us to our next track and was oh, there anything i forgot about this one let's see um 
Yeah, I think that's about it. I think we talked about all that other stuff during the uh, song. So um, that leads us to our next one, which is called Say It's All Right. This was written by Lord and Gantry being Elm. I'm sorry, Gantry. Yeah, Gantry. Elmer Gantry. So who's on this? Backing vocals by Sam Brown. Bass by Neil Murray. Drums Simon Phillips. Guitar Mick Ralphs again. Vicky Brown on vocals. John Lord on everything else. Lord said he got stuck halfway with the vocals and that's when he asked Elmer to help him out with the remainder. John Lord said, I would like to see that particular uh, lady, Vicki Brown, get herself a solo deal because she does have a really quite remarkable voice. The only problem she has is she's married to Joe Brown. And he said, I didn't mean that, Joe. Great lady, smashing voice. Oh, those vocals are so incredible. Ralphs again. Mick Ralphs was the founding a founding member of Mott the Hoople, and of course, Bad Company. So she's backing herself, her, her and her daughter are backing herself with the backing vocals. Sleep, 
Reminds me of a um, hmm. reminds me of one of the more serious Pace Ashton Lord songs, but say it's all right, John. What do you think of this one? You know, I don't know. I might get some shit for it, but I'm going to I'm going to give it a two point five. Oof. Just middle of the road. Not bad. Really? You know? Yeah. Uh, it just it didn't didn't hit me. You know, it didn't move, yeah. didn't move me. I mean, um, I'm not going to I'm not going to deny that there's uh, there's uh, there's good good singing, good playing. What not grand funk. But, uh, yeah, but it's not grand funk. <laughs> no, um, but it's um, no, it didn't um, didn't do it for me. You know, I I didn't I didn't find in it what I was looking for. But I mean, objectively, um, a good song. It's just um, it didn't it didn't hit those uh, didn't hit those heights for me. Mm, doesn't it doesn't move so, you? Doesn't have the power to move you, as Tenacious D says. Yeah. So um, I. I average all right all right fair enough um i will give this one another four i i think it's very uh it moves me i am moved i am moved almost to tears mostly because of your 2.5 but no um yeah just like a really i just i love the singing but then when the backing vocals come in it's just those backing vocals i don't know what they're doing and what the but the what the harmony exactly is that they're doing. It's just like, man, gets me every time. And it reminds me of those, like, uh, what's the song? Uh, Gonna Stop Drinking, I think, off of uh, Malice in Wonderland, where they, they just have those, you know, it's just like <clears> a sad, sad song, but this sad guy who just can't get his life together. And like, you, when you hear those backing <laughs> vocals, it's just, man, it's magic. Mm. But, all right, next track. Oh, is there anything else about that track? Let's see say it's all right i think that's pretty much everything um so that brings us to our next track which is called burnt wood um and here and here we go so he's using the synth to mimic the wind this is just neil murray and john lord His um, house was called Burntwood, so this is kind of him imagining the wind blowing through the trees of his home. Said he's trying to evoke the English countryside with this one.
the interviewer compared it to Evangelist, uh, Chariots of Fire. But John Lord said this was written before Chariots of Fire. Murray's playing an area fretless bass. <laughs> exactly. I had an my first bass was an area pro two. It's a piece of junk. said in an interview that people at EMI told John that they wish they had a film to put this in because it would have worked really well as a film score. Another one that could certainly fool people into believing there was orchestral instruments involved. Part of the interview, too, where John Lord's talking about his piano te technique as opposed to organ technique and how he had to kind of learn all these specifics about how to play legato on the organ and stuff. It's pretty interesting. If, definitely check out the liner notes from this if you're interested in hearing what he has to say. That is Burnt Wood summoning the feeling of the English countryside. John, what do you think mm -hmm. of that one? Let's see. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was really nice. I give it a uh, three point five. Hmm. Very nice. Yeah, really, really nice mellow um, instrumental piece. Um, yeah, I don't really have much else to to add you know it's um you know I, I feel like yeah I feel like I'm I was I was mm, I'll, I'll save my thoughts for the very end okay um like as as a whole because I know we're almost there we're almost um, there but 
but yeah, I feel like it's, um, it's pretty good, but again, doesn't like, um, you know, doesn't a hundred percent hit the mark, uh, to get me like completely interested. It's more like mood music. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, that's which I mean, I think that's what he intended it to be, but Mm -hmm. because like you said, he's trying to, you know, evoke a, a mood. So, yep. I think he's succeeding. I also give this a 3.5. I really like that little piece. It's a really beautiful little piece. Thinking about the... I'm thinking about the English countryside right now, so it must be working. Um, I bet. Last track up is the song Where Are You? This one features John Lord on keys and vocals by Elmer Gantry. Waking from a dream Thinking of what you've said He said he liked his kind of raspy voice. And finding an empty bed But that's much too This is about John Lord getting snowed in and stuck in Philadelphia. The gigs had been canceled and he was just kind of annoyed. So he sat on his little portable keyboard. And he said he wallowed in misery and came up with this chord sequence. Maybe this will be my new song I play when I'm waiting for you on the stream. Where are you, my friend? Interestingly, uh, this guy Elmer Gantry was part of a bogus Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> so he's kind of the Rod Evans of the Fleetwood Mac, although he wasn't the, actually in the real Fleetwood Mac. The new Fleetwood Mac. The new, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because we talked in that episode all those years ago about how that was kind of a thing for six, seven, eight years of the, these bogus bands going around. It's also said here that the ending invokes the composer Debussy, 
which I am not knowledgeable enough to confirm or deny. Tony Ashton quality to his voice. Yeah, more. Um, I'd say more singing and less. Yeah, a little more. Less. Uh, Sprickazong. <laughs> That's really loud. <laughs> no, that was about right. Was it? Okay. On my end, it sounded very loud. Yeah. Well, I feel like John Lord must have. You know, for his solo material or material outside of purple, like preferred uh, this style of vocalist. I can't remember if I thought this or if I already said it, but it reminds me of Tom Waits. Hmm, I think you thought it. Okay. <laughs> it's like Nate's repeating himself. Well, well, now you said it. It sounds like uh, some Tom Waits. Oh, is that rag? All right. Before I forget the final song, where are you? Where are you? John's already d dreading coming in to our next Zoom meeting one minute late, and I'll be like, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's better than the hello text. <laughs> yeah. I hate that shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I do it. <laughs> I'll just send you uh, I'll, I'll do you one of those um, text messages that's like a recorded audio and you'll press it and be where are you <laughs> that would that would make me laugh actually <laughs> so yeah do that instead yeah I'll do that instead alright so what do you think of where are you hmm you know what I'm I'm gonna give it a four. Oh wow oh my goodness yeah, I mean, I was thinking about it, and the thing that did it for me was is that there was a part in the middle that reminded me of Time and Again by mm. Coverdale. Okay. Where he, it kind of like, you know, went from the, yeah, because at first I'm like, all right, this guy's like this kind of raspy voice type of a singer, kind of Tony Ashton-esque, but then it kind of, it went up a little bit, you know, it kind of elevated a little bit and got a little more emotional. And I think that's kind of the intangible, like the, you know, you can't really describe like what, what makes a song move you, you know? And I, mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, that, that did it for me. And, and just listening to it, it kind of almost had this poignant, like, this is the, this is the end of the album type of song, very emotional and in a different kind of way, because when you have that kind of, really uh, kind of raspy, broken down sounding voice, you know, it can, there can be two different effects. And, yeah. You know, and I mean, not to mention like uh, uh, Lord's excellent playing as yep. always, um, you know, just very, very simple, uh, very kind of heartfelt tune. 
Yeah. Cheers to that. I'll give it a 3.5. I really liked it as well. Really um, delivered really well. And I I, I like, uh, you know, my favorite Deep Purple song is John Lord accompanied only by Glenn Hughes. So um, like having the, uh, one of those songs where it's just one instrument, if you can do it well, and, you know, time and again is, again, a perfect example. It's just mm-hmm. like, what is it? Is piano and synth and vocals or... Yeah. You know, just something if you can, if you can have if you have a strong enough melody and a strong enough performance from the singer um, that that's just that can be really, really powerful. Um, and mm-hmm. I think this this song, this song nails it pretty well. It's a really, really good song. All right. Well, folks, that is. Um, before I forget. And, you know, while John fumbles with the spreadsheet. I will do something else, which is to thank our foundation level patrons coming in at the $3.50 deep purple New York tier. We have none other than Lord Longford coming in at the three pound aromatic feed tier. We have Simon Ford and Richard Brees. At the $3.33 halfway to evil tier, Stephen Sharp and Duncan Leesk. At the $3 nobody's perfect tier, we have Peter Gardeau. Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback. Stuart McCord. Then we also have... Ivan Fjeldbu. Runar Siemensen. JJ Stenard. Ruinous Inadequacies. John Maselli. You're going to get into college on the strength of your academic achievements, not on what you wear. But let me ask you a question Does this color wash me out? <laughs> Michael Boyette. And Corey, <laughs> and Corey Morissette at the one dollar and seventy one cent. I want my own tier. Tier we have Rich Young, at the ten kroner tier. Karsten Lau, and at the one dollar made up name tier, we have the drip onto this leaky mausoleum. Stephen Somerville. The Concerto 1999 Fanatic, Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel, <coughs> Blackmore Tights, Steve Down to Earth Kohler, Zwapper the Electric Alchemist, Anders Engstrom, and Ashley Still I Hear, Burn Rose. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. And now it's the time of the show you've all been waiting for. All right. I don't know what I was just playing. <laughs> I was playing a clarinet or something. Yeah, I still, I still, I still miss that that version that you played a few times where you're like. 
cabs. What <laughs> they cabs. came in like really loud, and then you had to like re-edit it. <laughs> I did. Like, it was, a, sounded really out of place. Uh, I thought so, it was. Well, you know what? If you're not hilarious. careful, I might just sneak one that one in on you one time when you're not expecting <laughs> it. Um. Uh. So um, after this album, uh, well, actually, before we get to that, before I before we forget. <laughs> Before, before, before we forget, forget, let me tell you what the ratings are, damn it. Yes, please. Oh my god, were so, you were you just had the cursor? I was like, oh no, it can't be that low. <laughs> no, no, it's I just I turned it on and it was like hovering over war like one of the War Horse albums, and I was like, oh my no, god. No, 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 I was like, I thought we were I thought we were liking that album. What's going on? Okay. No, it's a seven seven point oh six. Uh you liked it um you you rated it higher than I did, uh, but it is in the um, it's in the lower it's in the lower half of our ratings, but um, like high, higher half of the low, you know, so uh-huh. it's not like down toward the bottom, but it is um, it is down there a little bit. Um, right. Um, it's got the same rating as Funkist by Bobby Harrison and a little bit above Deep Purple Abandon, which was a recent review, but yeah. just by a little bit. So that's that's where it's that's where it's hanging out. And the difference that our very it's one of our biggest variances, honestly. Along with yeah. Stormbringer, surprisingly. Really? Wizards Convention, but, which are both very highly ranked, even still. And um I thought our biggest variance ever was who do we think we are? It is. Oh, it is still by by a lot. <laughs> by like <laughs> almost double the uh, variance here. So Yeah, you are. Yeah, don't 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 be confused. Yeah, don't that, don't get friend. it twisted. But um, yeah, before before I forget, don't forget that. <laughs> um, but yeah, this um, I would say this um, it was it was a um, it was a good it was a good effort. It was a good album. Um, but I I really um I I feel like um, you know for for my uh. Uh, personal taste you know i wish that there were more songs on it like the opening track yeah um you know like um like uh chance on a feeling you know because that's that's the type of stuff that i like um you know i was i was kind of hopeful that it was going to be more of that but i mean you know you also have you know john lord as a, a musician he's a composer he's you know he's experimental he's you know what i mean he's not just going to do a straight ahead rock out. I mean, he could, mm-hmm. um, but he chose not to. And I mean, this is also, we remember he did this with, um, like you said, a bunch of friends, other musicians. So it wasn't like he went in with one cohesive idea or vision. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that that's a thing that I was going to say before um, with that other song was, is just like, um, you know, I feel like some, you know, some albums are, are meant, um, you know, to be kind of uh, ambient, you know, they're kind of meant mm-hmm. to be background music. Um, personally, like, like I said, if, if, you know, we were hanging around, you put this on, you know, we wouldn't be like sitting there like this, like, yeah, you know, scrutinizing yeah. it or something. It would be cool to have on in the background. Um, but, you know, as, um, as a group of songs that I w- I'm like, yes, I have to listen to this again. You know, I'm going to blast this in the car type of thing. Like, probably not. But I think it had like a quality to it, like where it wasn't 100 percent ready or finished. And I kind of like that. 
Like I there's some mm-hmm. albums that I really dig that are are like that like um like Sure Kazoo from by Ian Gillen. Like there's a, like I love that some of the stuff sounds like it could be almost like a demo. Some of the stuff sounds like it's not completely fleshed out yet and I've always really loved stuff like that. Uh Jeff Buckley's uh sketches from my sweetheart the drunk which was you know an album he was working on when he died and it's you know sad but they they kind of released it posthumously so so you get a mixture of these songs that sound like honestly pretty poorly recorded demos and songs that sound like they're almost 100 percent ready um and i like that kind of dynamic of just hearing what it's like picking up somebody's sketchbook or picking up somebody's notebook and reading through it and looking through these things that some things are more complete than others and some things are totally fleshed out and I, I always kind of like getting those sneak peeks sometimes it's intended sometimes it's not um but there's something about that that appeals to me and that's I think what I really like about this album it's you you might get a like a fully like chance on a feeling fully formed song and then you might get something else that's just you know Neil Murray on bass and and Lord on on keys and even though it's obviously well arranged and it meant to be finished it you've get this this wide spectrum of full band stuff and just two guys playing together and i don't know i i I really i really dig that sort of stuff and i think that's why this album resonates with me so that's my story and i'm sticking to it fair enough um all right so uh, i don't think the song did anything in the charts i couldn't find anything at least um uh, he was asked by the interviewer if if he what his next step would be, and he said, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm I'm going to make another album in a year's time. Maybe I might make one a year after that as well." But his next solo didn't, solo album didn't come out until 1998, <laughs> pictured within. So um, it was Whoops. a while. Uh, oops. Um, Lord said this is the first solo album he ever made without an orchestra, and I think it probably remains the only one as far as I can think of. Um, unless, yeah, the only one bearing the John Lord name. I think everything else was had orchestrations or was fully orchestral after that point. Mm-hmm. Um, couple of quick reviews. One of them is from Stargazer, issue 26, November 1982. Uh, says, Chance on a Feeling is a lovely song all about John stealing Glenn's girlfriend during Mark Forty Purple Days. Uh, Bach onto this is what John refers to as a piece of eight-minute madness, the old Hammond swirling and letting letting rip. Great stuff. Before I forget is the best track off the album and one of the best things any member of Deep Purple has ever done. Wow. That's that's a high claim, I think. Uh, say yeah, it's uh, all... What's that? Also false. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's... It's good, but that's quite a claim. Uh, Say It's All Right sounds like a combination of every Radio 2 ballad I've ever heard. Burntwood is very uh, like Aria off of Saraband. Overall, a good album with some lovely piano on the last track to finish with and a very Ashton-like vocal from Elmer Gantry. Um, Also, like right after that in Stargazer was talking about rumors about Deep Purple reunion happening, which of course would happen a couple of years later. Then we have a review, let's see if we can find it, from, uh, where is it? This review is from Kerrang! Howard Johnson, good old Hojo, reviewing... <laughs> Hojo. Good old Hojo. 
Hojo. Reviewing the album, Hojo says, John Lord has played keyboards in two of Britain's most successful bands, Deep Purple and White Snake, but neither of these groups have ever consistently sparked off that certain something in me. The electric buzz alerted when you know what you're hearing is pure dynamite. Before I Forget spans the width of music written by John outside of White Snake, deemed either unsuitable or not good enough for the band's repertoire, depending on your point of view. I would suggest unsuitable for, in some strange way, the album triggers off that reaction within me mentioned earlier. It's neither contemporary or original, and I'm usually no great organ lover, so to speak. Yet Before I Forget boasts a great deal of charm, spanning a wide variety of styles and hanging together convincingly, with John, a master of his art, having a thoroughly good time. Chance on a Feeling is melodic hard rock, while Tender Babes is a galloping keyboard frolic. These numbers are the pick of the upside, while the instrumental Burnt Wood and the moody introspective Before I Forget are the highlights of the flip, labeled, not surprisingly, the downside. Negative factors are the tired Hollywood rock and roll and the sub-Barbara Dickinson say it's all right, but a good album, the contents of which should be pursued at leisure. So, there you go. Fair Mm -hmm. review from Howard Johnson. Um... Yeah, that's Howard Johnson from... I know he wrote for Kerrang! I can't tell on that article, but it must be from Kerrang! Um, But uh, before we wrap it up, I do have one thing to do, and that is... Merchandising! Merchandising! Come, I'll show you! Open up this door! Oh, yeah, you can't hear it. (laughs) Listen to the you audio dummy. podcast. Merchandising. <laughs> oh, I missed. I love that clip. We gotta get something off. We gotta get something off of uh, uh, something something away from Zoom. This is going back and forth between what you're sharing is ridiculous. Mm. It's very annoying. Um, okay, so sorry to my YouTube people who just looked at us standing there for a minute saying nothing, um, including so, me, including John. <laughs> So uh, Jeff Bryce uh, sends over his, he's got his single here, which we we talked about. So that's the flip side. This is the Bach onto this that we talked about. It's the, <laughs> it's the Bach with the extremely hastily drawn sunglasses. It's a great picture. Mm. Um, and then the, the, the side one is Bach onto this and side two is going home, which is a song they did for the album. It wasn't on the full album. But it is on that bonus edition that's got like the five extra tracks or whatever. Um, mm. It doesn't say the times on this, but yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't know, 45, I don't think you're fitting an eight minute uh, single. Um, then we've got this ad from the Bach onto this single, also available on cassette. Um, I think that's probably from, this must be from like Kerrang or something. Yeah, it's Krang. Um, and then he's got, uh, there's a bunch of liner notes. Uh, uh, and one of them has got a really great picture of John. Here we go. John Lord, uh, a bearded John, looking almost like Martin Birch there, play, <laughs> yeah. playing on one of his synths with a speaker, like, directly in front of his ear. Like, oof. Yeah, it's got to be pretty, but th- this is from, uh, this must be from the uh, Stargazer. Um, so... Really cool stuff, but yeah, not a ton on this album. It wasn't like uh, a mega mega release or anything, but that's kind of the stuff that we've got. And uh, some for more information, I've got a link to the digital version of Stargazer that you can look at, and there's some other information there too. But that's it. That's before I forget, John. 
any uh, any closing thoughts? No. I knew that we'd get you <laughs> every time. Yeah, I'm gonna take a. I'm gonna um, take a. I'm gonna take a long drink from my drink while John just, you know, waxes philosophical about the album. Nope. No. Nope. I um. No, I, I said. I said what I had to say before. Is I, said um, what I, said. I mean, there's really. I mean, really think about it. I mean, any direct descendant from the original or classic line. Anybody that's actually been in Deep Purple. I mean, with very few exceptions, um, Warhorse. Um, there's really nothing bad that these guys could do. No. I mean, um, um, Ian, Roger, Richie, um, Ian, John, you know, um, Glenn, uh, Coverdale. Coverdale? anybody? <laughs> David. Um <laughs> Tommy. No, but all these, yeah, yeah, Tommy yeah, I mean, they're Bowen, all, yeah. yeah, they're all putting out quality music. It's just a matter exactly. of, you know, and that's the cool thing about it is there can be some, it, it's, it literally spans the spectrum from full on classical mm. arrangement, concerto, whatever you want to call it, to heavy metal and everything I mean, in between jazz, blues, you name it. And there's, there's something in there for everybody. And the cool thing about it is, I've always found I can appreciate all of it. There's just some of it that I gravitate to more than others. Exactly. And I mean, if you think about it this way, it's like even not a great John Lord album is still a John Lord album. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, we're we're lucky that we had as as much varied and diverse music from him as we did. So this one, definitely not not a failure, not bad by any means. Like you know, I, I think that it was a, a, a fun listen. Um, the worst John Lord album is better than the best Nate and John album. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For a minute, I'm like, well, no, what, what was there I don't even know. We about? had some pretty good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what is there to even think about? Well, well, that's debatable. What about that one song we did? That'll be our next um our next episode is going to be uh, stacking up <laughs> our solo material with the. <laughs> we could work with like we could work till the end of time, and like John Lord, obviously can't release any more music, yeah. and we we would still be outpaced by him. We'd be like, I, yeah. I can't. Yeah, he, <laughs> like, yeah, he could fart into a box and and record it, and and it would sound better than us like giving it our all. Oh. <laughs> or he could just he could fall onto his keyboard and it would sound better than anything we could do on a keyboard. <laughs> it's like tri- tri- trip trip going down the stairs and his keyboard is like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the tubes rattling. <laughs> That's awesome. And then we spend like a year trying to write one song and it's like no, John Lord tripping down the stairs and dropping his hammond is still better. <laughs> I like that he was trying to carry his Hammond, 600-pound Hammond down the stairs. <laughs> I'm not talking about, like, you know, a, a friggin' steep flight of stairs up an old, like, three-story apartment. It could be just, like, three steps. <laughs> He's carrying it to his walk-up apartment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, who, who knows? Maybe... No, I was going to say, who knows? Maybe he tried. 
Yeah, we could. That's why he sawed it in half, apparently, mm. so that it could be yeah. easier to move. See, um, exactly. Uh, but anyway. All right. <clears throat> well, there you go. Another uh, another solo album in the can. Thank you. Another so- shorter episode. Another shorter episode. But by a little. Eh, well, it's actually. For Technically. Us, for us, it's pretty short. Technically. Um, but it's a short album. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Check us out again next week where we'll be coming at you with uh, allegedly a live stream. So we'll have to see how that goes. I'm excited about that one. So. Ooh. All right. I'll check you later and talk to you next week, my friend. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Imagine that going up your keista. <laughs> ah, bah. It's very good. It's not bad. How about the power to move you? Yep. This is Jesse, the Governor Ventura. I want to set the record straight on some of the events that transpired in the last week. Yes, I met with Tim Waltz, the Governor-elect of Minnesota. Now, the mainstream media, they said that I showed up looking like someone emptied an air filter. Here's what happened. I drove up in my van from Cabo all the way to Minnesota. Yep, I've got a van, and it's got some political slogans planned on the outside, along with some poetry and maybe a couple of tarps. I parked the van on the lawn of the state capitol in St. Paul, and I was blasting my Jimi Hendrix 8-tracks. That's my prerogative.